0: Amen. Thank you, guys. That was a beautiful rendition of Amazing Grace. And I don't know if you've ever heard other variations of how that particular set of words has been uh, uh, connected to different uh, uh, rhythms and, 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 and musical expressions and even retooling other, other songs. Uh, but there's something very deep about what Amazing Grace uh, means in Substance and in effect on the lives of the people that hear it. It communicates to everyone, everywhere. I mean, did, did you guys know that you can also do, not to not to downplay what we just heard, you can do Amazing Grace, to the tune of Gilligan's Island? Did you know that? Anybody know that? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Blind, but now I see. And you can just go on and on. Uh, do you like? And I, I've been listening to the choir and taking note and trying to figure out how to sing, and they're they're teaching me slowly. Uh, but uh, is that isn't that incredible? How uh, and, and that's not the only song. There's more, but I won't I won't I won't haunt your imaginations with that for the rest of the day. Uh, but one thing that is is critical to know is whenever. Uh, John Newton penned those words, uh, it it was because there was such a deep longing that he had in in his own soul that when that longing was finally satisfied with the knowledge of Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, it, it completely transformed him. Now, I don't know about you, but as I just think about despicable people in the world uh, that we live in. Uh, Right now, one of the uh, categories of people that uh, many of us find just completely reprehensible is a category of the person who would exploit another human being uh, in in human trafficking or to take another human being and objectify them in a way that they become a commodity and then they put them up for sale. And through that form of exploitation, uh, they receive personal gain. And when you hear about those things, there's just something inside of us that says that is innately wrong. Yet whenever we hear those words sung so beautifully just now, we have to remind ourselves that the person who sung those words uh, initially, John Newton, was a human trafficker. He was a person who would take the lives of other people, objectify them, exploit them, and then sell them to the highest bidder. That's what he did. And his conscience was so uneasy and so really uh, Um, uh, overwhelmed by uh, what that meant whenever God began to impress his, his awareness that the thing that you're doing is wrong. You may in one category be benefiting financially substantially but it is killing your soul. And he knew that and somewhere along the way somebody went into his world and said despite what you're doing Jesus loves you. And as a result of that, it changed everything. And he went from somebody whose life was dedicated to transporting human beings from one continent to another to sharing the good news with every human being possible through song or whatever means available for the rest of his life because the gospel had made that much of a difference. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had been doing the things that he was doing, I would probably over time start to think that, yeah, uh, it is so severely wrong that I doubt that God would want to have anything to do with me. But isn't it ironic, all the lives that he ruined, and yet God still said, I want to redeem you. I want to change you. I want to save you. As much as I want to save the people whose lives are ruined by your exploitation, I want to save you because inside of you is something beautiful. And I want to redeem that. Something made in my image and likeness. And isn't it powerful to consider how God spoke to a person that was so nasty and vile and re-emerged out of that Experience was a completely changed and transformed human being. Every time I hear that song, Attila, I think about that story. And I realize that there is so much behind it that makes that amazing grace so rich. And I even think about my own sin and my own shortcomings. And as I was coming to an awareness about their significance, I thought I must be the only one. And then I started talking to other people and they said, yeah, I got my own skeletons in the closet. I got my own things that I'm ashamed of. I've got my own brokenness. And most of the time in a setting like this, that won't come out. But when we're in our smaller groups where we're around people that we're comfortable with and they start talking about their own... Things happening on the inside, and you start to hear it. And before the Me Too mo- movement became something that, 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 that's different than where I'm going, there were a lot of people that I've seen in settings who would say, Oh, Me Too. Yeah, I can't believe I'm not the only one. And there's something rich about that because in that moment, God's grace not only flows into our lives, but it flows between our lives. So that we're not only redeemed in our own souls, but we are redeemed together as his community. This amazing grace at work. And so we have been talking for uh, the better part of a month about the, the, the whole idea of, of, of going and sending, and we've showcased uh, people who have been a part of that initiative in some form. And sometimes I think we forget why we do what we do until we consider what happens on the receiving end. In, in, in one case that we're so familiar with, it's, it's always heartwarming to think about what the Dominican team has done over the past several years in just going, establishing rapport with the community, helping them with some basic needs, allowing grace to flow through that, and then into the deeper layers where souls are... Transformed And communities are not only redeemed in terms of their water, but they're redeemed in terms of the living water. And when I see those things happen, I'm like, well, the church is really being the church when we get behind those things. We're doing things that make an eternal difference. And we're accomplishing the purposes that Jesus set forth when that first evangelist told everyone that she could That he is alive, he is risen, he is Lord. And we've been talking about the gospel and some of us have have been wrestling with what does the gospel mean? What is the good, what's good about the good news? And there is so much because it is so rich. And what I want to do is just look at three people today in the Bible in Acts chapter 16 who are on, who are the people who are on the receiving end of what the people who are going or the people who are sending um, are offering to those lives. Who are those lives? And who are the people that, um, that, 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 whether whether it's Kremi or whether it's Curtis or whether it's uh, the votes or any number of people that you're familiar with, who are those lives that we don't know what, what, what is it that they are longing for and looking for. And in Acts chapter 16, there are three lives that very quickly happen. In, um, in the field of vision, as uh, Paul and, um, and, 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 and his uh, fellow missionary are just going and sharing the word, people are just kind of popping up. Strange Cross sections of people are emerging who, in their own right, God has been sort of stirring them up a little bit and doing the work that he does to help the word whenever the seed is planted to land in fertile ground. And so in Acts chapter 16, we read these these words. Uh, here Paul writes, from Troas uh, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Sumathrace. And the next day we went to Neapolis, and from there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside to the city gate, to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer, and we sat down and began to speak, and once once we were going to that place of prayer... We were met by a female slave who had a spirit uh, by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her her owners by fortune telling. And she followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept us up for many days. And finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you, come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. And the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after that, they had been severely flogged, and they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. I'm going to stop right there for just a moment, because uh, in in this chapter... It actually starts off with a, a pretty benign encounter with uh, just a, uh, an average but somewhat economically um, well to do citizen named Lydia. And she was just at the place of prayer doing her own seeking and pretty easy to have a conversation with someone like that because in so many ways uh, her world and the things that made up her understanding of, of life and business and culture and all of that overlapped pretty easily with the world of the training of the Apostle Paul and his cosmopolitan awareness and his ability to uh, have conversations with uh, highly professional, highly functioning people. And so in that conversation, as it ensued, he had said to her, the thing that you're looking for, I know, is, is contained in the good news about Jesus Christ. Now, this is a woman who had so much going for her. She was wealthy. She was probably uh, old enough where her children had left the house and she had traveled and done everything that you could do in terms of, uh, you know, the the opportunities and the enjoyments. But yet she was a a God-fearer who longed for something more. And her own abilities that she had to earn money, after a while became somewhat, well, empty. And yet, money was kind of an idol that she was looking to replace with something deeper and the apostle paul told her the thing that you're looking for is actually not a thing at all it's a person named jesus and when she heard that it was like all of the legos just snapped into place and she's like ah and then everything changed and for some of us we've had conversations with people who are from our own sort of background and, and, and way of thinking and perhaps uh, the philosophy of life and it was just that one little thing and it wasn't too hard to speak into their world but when the Apostle Paul was sharing that with her and then the slave woman emerged that we just read about it was a completely different animal Here's a girl who is on the bottom of the social uh, ladder who in so many ways has never had the opportunity to probably think for herself. She was one of those people that um, maybe early in her life she was sold into slavery. And for the course of her life, she was exploited by her masters to offer whatever, whatever people wanted from her, and it was discovered that she had a, a capability because one of her interests, I'm, I'm sure, was reading tarot cards and, and doing things that were of an occultic nature to a degree that she became the, 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 the really, the, the host the a spirit that inhabited her that was a spirit of divination. So she became a fortune teller and this was just a bonus for the the, the owners that uh, basically were harnessing her capability for their own gainful end. And so she just thought this is the way life is. This is normal. I don't have any other frame of reference other than I'm serving my masters. I'm doing these spiritual things that have some element of power to them. I'm hearing these voices in my head that I know are from another source. And at times, I'm abused and exploited. But overall, it's familiar. It's the world I know. And yet, deep down inside, there is a voice inside of me saying, there's something better. There has to be something better. But because she's not allowed to think for herself, she just has an instinct that says in a very subtle way, there's something more. And given the fact that she's told what to do and told not to think, only to speak whenever the demons speak through her, it's just more of a longing. And when the Apostle Paul had encountered her after that discussion with with Lydia, he knew that it was a, a completely different way of bringing the gospel into her world. Her needs were altogether different. She needed to be set free on so many levels. And the first level that she needed deliverance from was from the spirit that was taking away the last vestige of her soul when everything else had already been taken away by, by owners and their, and, 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 and their intentions. And so they called the demon out. And when the demon left, her eyes started to clarify. And her sense of herself began to reemerge. And a whole new level of longing began to, uh, to, to heighten her awareness. That, that thing that was deep inside of me is starting to come out in the form of a question. And that question was, who are you that you have the power to do this? And the response was, we're representatives of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And He's the one who has delivered you because He is the only one who has authority over everything evil and demonic and satanic. He's the one who defeated all of those forces on the cross. And He's the one who as a result of that offers to us a new life, a new way of life. Lydia had a lot of questions because Lydia had an awareness of a lot of things and a lot of categories that defined her, her, her reality very flavorfully. But the slave girl just knew that she was lost and broken and longing and Jesus said, I've got something for Lydia, and I've got something for the slave girl, yet I need, I need somebody to make that connection between myself and those ladies. And that somebody is the person who was sent, the person who went. When we say go, that means somebody is placed in, into the world of the person that God has been working on to restore You see, everything that Jesus intended for that girl, intended for that that, that wealthy business owner, could not have happened had the Apostle Paul not been obedient and went. He saw the places that he went to, places I could hardly describe, uh, names that are unfamiliar, but places that God said, that's where you need to go. (laughs) And so the slave girl was freed, but the problem is, Have you ever had the feeling that no good deed goes unpunished? You do something good for somebody and then all of a sudden it comes back on you in some kind of drama or pain? Sometimes that happens and in the Bible oftentimes it seems to occur. But it's really just an opportunity in disguise if you pay attention uh, uh, to what God is doing as he's moving you through difficult situations. And for Paul here and his companion, it was no exception. You see, when you take away the economic resource that you've come to depend upon so much, it's going to provoke anger. And these guys were livid. So much so that they brought the authorities and they just said, look, these two guys, they are trouble. They are disrupting the economy of our, our community. They are doing things that are taking away not only our own incomes that we would pour back into the community, but the taxes that come from those incomes and on and on it goes. Well, the end result is Paul and Silas are thrown into jail. And I'm sure that if you were in their shoes, you would say, my church sent me on the mission field. We had these converts. And now we're in jail. God, where are you? What are you doing? And I I would get that sense that God has abandoned me if I am just trying to do something good like share the good news. And yet these guys, whenever they were thrown into prison, weren't really so much focused on their own situation as much as what God could be doing in that situation. And there was one person that God had in his crosshairs that he wanted to see find new life. To find the hope and the promises that you and I have. And that person was the jailer. And the jailer of all people, well, he comes from just kind of a working class background. He's a guy that goes to work, he's disciplined, he's probably a former um, uh, military person, and he just wants to ride this job out, get his pension, keep his head down, and steer clear of of any drama from uh, uh, the, the governing authorities and any drama from the inmates. He probably is not that interested In the God question because in his mind, he's a good person. He's crossed his T's and dotted his I's. He's done everything according to the bureaucratical expectations that he has. He's providing for his family. What does he need God for? And maybe he feels like, even if I were to consider the God thing, I'm just a... I'm just a doer. I, I just, I go to work and I do. I don't really take it to any deep level. And yet, even people like the jailer who just want to live their lives and not really get too involved in anything other than providing for your family, even those people, God says, I died for them because they're locked into their own complacency, their own sense of. Yeah, I'm kind of living the dream, sort of. And in his case, he he had the guards watch them carefully. And when he received the orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet with stocks because these were seemingly high-priority prisoners. However, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. And the hymns could have been their own version of Amazing Grace. Who knows? Uh, Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And all at once the prison doors flew open. And everyone's chains came loose. And the jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword because he knew at that moment the prisoners had escaped, which means that my head is going to roll. So I might as well just end it now. But Paul said, don't harm yourself. We are all here. And the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. And as the jailers made this discovery alongside his household, it's almost like I have this script for how my, the story of my life is living out and it's a fairly predictable one because I just did all the predictable things that you need to do to have a predictable outcome and sideways comes... Uh, this freight train that he didn't even anticipate uh, ever happening in his world that brought elements of the miraculous, the supernatural, um, the spiritual, the divine elements of a complete reorientation of his own life. When he got up that morning and ate his Wheaties and then he went to work, he never imagined for the life of him that before it was all said and done, he and his whole family would be getting baptized and would be changed in their whole perspective on life. I mean, it is amazing what God does when he is invited into your world. And he does it pretty quickly. It's not like he just um, says, all right, it's going to be a very gradual thing, which, don't get me wrong, there are many gradual changes that happen in us. But there is a change that happens in our mind that says things are different. And I've seen it time and time again. A person is an angry person. They're a frustrated person. They're a person that can be pretty hateful and vindictive. They're a person that is perhaps overly selfish or self-indulgent. Yet they know that this misery that's being created in their lives because of these habits of how they've approached life, has, has, has really taken life out of them, they long for something more. And it's amazing how when the Holy Spirit begins to take effect in the life of a person, their mind and their heart is changed. When our sins are cleansed by the blood of Jesus through the forgiveness that God gives us, they're removed as far as the east is from the west. And it can happen in an instant. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but I certainly do, and I continue to have this experience. There are times when I get my head in a place where I'm, I'm not really thinking about the things of God. I'm, 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 I'm thinking about the things of the world. I'm, and, and, and it could be sinful, or it could be just, I'm just not really thinking about God. And invariably what happens is, is that when I, when I disconnect myself from that relationship with God, things start to take hold. It could, be, it could be anger. It could be frustration. It could be my ego saying, you deserve this, or you were offended by that, or you should be afraid of this, or you can't really trust God there. And you know the dialogue, don't you? And what that disconnected state does is it takes us almost back to the garden after God left Adam and Eve and said, you're on your own. It's a sense of me versus the world. Yet when we ask God to forgive us of that, in that moment, I believe he forgives us. And it's almost like another power takes hold. Where God says, I'm, I'm, I'm in control again, aren't I? And then the Spirit begins to emerge the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and kindness. And I can honestly say within the span of a few minutes, I've gone from one mind to the other mind. And that experience is really just a reflection of what happens when people hear the good news. It is not just a change of perspective like when you go up on the mountain and you look down and you see the villages down below from a different angle. It is a whole change in your being that's affected by the presence of Christ in your life. You go from being an exploiter of human beings to a person writing beautiful songs about the grace of God. And when I think about that transformation, whether it's what I experience on a personal level or what People experience whenever their lives are are dramatically impacted by receiving the gospel into their into their their lives and their heart. I realize that when we send people or we say to people, Go if God's calling you to go, and we get behind them, I realize that on the other end of that sending and going are people like Lydia, are people like the the slave are people like the jailer who without the ambassadors of Christ making sure that they hear the good news, they would just be stuck in their rut. Lydia would go from maybe expanding her business at one level to another level to taking even more exotic vacations to continually trying different spiritualities to see what will fit new philosophies and ideas, but never arriving. The slave girl would just get deeper and deeper in her bondage to the, the demonic stronghold that was in her life and the slave owners that enjoyed the benefit of her captivity until she expired as a human being. And the jailer, he would probably retire, as tired, and maybe a little burned out, but hopeless. And it's interesting to think about an alternate history for those individuals, isn't it? To know that, what would it have been like had nobody showed up? What would it have been like had Amazing Grace sung to the tune that they would recognize not come into their heart? And what would you be like if Amazing Grace hadn't come into your world? where would you be right now? What would you be doing? Where were you before God started to get important? And perhaps if you can remember, you can remember why we go and why we send. How can they believe if they haven't heard? And how can they hear if no one is sent? And if someone is sent, how beautiful are the feet of those on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. And so God's called us as a church to focus on these things because he wants to see lives like the ones we've mentioned. Lives like each of our own become who we are when Jesus becomes somebody we worship. I want to invite you into that place because it is a place of joy. It is a place of love and peace and kindness. It is a place of forgiveness. It is a place where your whole sense of how it's all going to end is going to change dramatically. So much about your life and mine hinges on whether or not Jesus is a part of it. And if he's not a part of your life, we want to help you do that. Maybe you've never been baptized and so you, you feel like, I, I, I'm not sure, I, I know I believe, but I need, to, I need to do something that is a declaration to myself and everyone around me as an act of obedience. That yeah, that was the moment for sure in my mind that we locked it down. Or maybe you just need to have a conversation. Or perhaps you've been doing this for a while and you're sliding back a little bit and you need to be brought back into that space that God wants you to be so that you're thinking clearly and you're doing what you need to be doing while we can. I want to just pray as I end this, and then we're going to sing our hymn of invitation. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you for giving us a messenger from the empty tomb to run and tell others who run and told others who have run and told us. Thank you for helping us, Lord, to Overcome our shame, our guilt, our humiliation, our confusion, our longing, our desire to know, our complacency. Thank you for delivering us from each and every one of those things and continue to do that, Father, in each life here, in my life, in the lives of the people that you have called your own. And Father, I just pray for everyone in this room, if there is As someone here who is not in that space, I pray that you help us to help them and that you give them that sense of how our eyes are opened when when we invite you in. So I just ask that that could happen, Lord, and if it needs to happen today, that you would make it so. And Father, I just lift up this whole series that we've been doing, that it would be embedded in our own church DNA even more that we see ourselves as goers and senders and just help us to continue to expand on that very important calling as you use us in that redemptive process. And we pray father that on that day that we meet you, we can lay before your throne that fruit that is the result of the work that you've been able to do through us. And I just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.